Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Andrew Hailed. I know I've said it before, but what a church family. They have so many different talents and, and, and demonstrations of faith. Thank you, Carrie, for organizing with the young people as well as, um, yes, delivering a performance that, that was beautiful to hear, but also to hear a profession of the words and the emphasis and the spirit behind it. Um, such a beauty, beautiful thing, right, that we get to experience and to have been able to be a part of here every day. And so something I, I do want to jump into is, as I knew this was coming with the special music and the, the, the drama is to encourage us as a church family, let's be intentional to, to reach out to uh, especially our children and say, hey, that was really neat what you did this morning. Even if you were like, I don't know what I think about how they did the drama. Just the, the spirit of, hey, as a church family, are we coming alongside the young people, whether we know them or not individually or personally, hey, that was really neat what you did. Can you tell me more of like, what were you experiencing? What were you thinking as you were doing that? So something about a church family coming alongside one another. You know, it takes a a village to raise a kid. And for us to have a church family that's doing that um, in numerous and thundering ways um, is really, really neat. So has anybody ever set goals? A couple people. Awesome. Well, we're done. We can see you next week. Um, But has anybody ever set goals. Is anybody still going strong on their New Year's Eve or New Year's resolutions? Dale in the back, yes he is. Pastor Brock, Dale encouraged our men's group to, to jump into reading the Bible in a year, and so I'm glad we get to do that with him. Awesome. Well, I've never been much of a New Year's resolution person. I've always thought, why does it have to be then? Like, I could start one now, or I could start one yesterday, right? It doesn't have to be any one specific time period. So why does the start of a new year have to mean that it's the time to start something new or make a change? So with that in mind, in December of 2019, Pastor Brock invited me to create resolutions or goals for the year 2020. And so those could have been like personal goals or relational goals or, you know, um, physical goals. So I want to go and I want to run um, a mile in under a set period of time. I won't tell you what that is because I haven't hit it yet. Um, but, but one of them was um, to read seven books in the year 2020. So that's, you know, a little bit more than two books a month. And did anybody else experience 2020 where it went a little differently than you kind of expected? <laughs> a little different stuff took place. Um, we, it might have gone a little different than we thought. And so I was able to read, or I, actually I shouldn't say, I started four books and I finished one. Hey, we got through one, seven was the goal, but let's celebrate the one that we got. To have that pivot in our mindset, like as Pastor Brock mentioned a couple weeks ago, let's celebrate what we have accomplished and not focus on, man, I did terrible, and to really get into the dejection space, but to get into, let's pivot and look at our mindset of where are we headed. Okay, we didn't meet that goal, what needs to change so that when we set new goals that we can achieve them. And so... I mentioned the reading of the books for the year 2021, so this year, I backed it down to six books, so one book every two months, that seventh book, you know, was just really keeping me from accomplishing seven. Um, 
but, but one book every two months. And I was actually, my parents were up a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about this, and they, they shared something they hadn't shared with me before, and it was that when I was a kid, they were kind of concerned about me. And they were concerned about me because I was always either on a book, in a book, or on a screen. They were like, he's not wanting to spend time with people, he's, he's not talking to people, he's not making friends, he's not going out and doing stuff, he's not inviting people over, he's just reading books. And um, it was even to the extent that, anybody into the Harry Potter series when they were coming out? Me? Okay, a couple people. Well, if you haven't read them, you should, but um, I was in the time period of when I was growing up, but they were actually still coming out with them. And so I loved reading so much that as much as I loved summer camp, I would take the new Harry Potter book with me and during free time, spend the entire week free time reading my book. Little bit crazy there. And so, but as I got older, I got into middle school and high school, and I kind of started slacking off in the reading. You know, you have your assigned books you have to read, and nobody reads those. I didn't. Um, you only had to read what you had to. And I'll even admit, when I got to my senior year, I even sunk to the depths of, anybody ever heard of Spark Notes or Cliff Notes? <laughs> a lot more people than I thought. Wow. I'm a little uncertain how many books the church family's read. There you go. So I sunk to those depths. Um, fortunately, was able to pass the classes. But, um, but like I said, 2021, I set my goal at six books for the year. And I want to share that as of, as of today, I've read, one, The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Check it out. I've read Veronica Mars. Anybody ever heard of Veronica Mars? It was a TV show back in like the 90s, early 2000s, I think was the time frame. Um, I watched it a couple years ago, loved it, and uh, it's a teenage girl, crime, mystery, drama, totally up my alley. <laughs> and so, Jessica enjoys them as well, so I, for Christmas this year, bought her, they wrote two books that happened, get this, after the movie, but before the new series they put out last year. So I'm telling you, I'm up to date. But I bought Jessica two books that happened in between. Megan's loving this. In between. And then I said, hey, Jessica, we're getting into uh, wanting to read books again. Could I read that book first? So I finished the first one already. And she actually just finished it as well over the weekend. And then the book Aragon, Dragon's Fantasy. So you go from teenage drama, dating, mystery to dragon fantasy stuff like we got a, we got a wild uh spectrum if you will and uh, i read those in middle school high school age and really got into them and was really interested in in all of that stuff and so as i was getting back into reading i'm like well you know pastor brock we didn't actually talk about those books we talked about yes we did not at all um, but we talked about some, some uh, different books, you know, maybe growing as far as uh, understanding of finances or growing as far as understanding scripture concepts of that or growing in, you know, counseling. Is there books out there about that sort of stuff? So that, you know, that kind of realm of things. And so far I've accomplished one of those of that region, but, but I've gotten through three books. So a little bit of, of pumping myself up here. But, um, so, but, but Aragon, if you have, may have noticed, it's a little hard to see, but it's a little tattered. Um, I've gone through it now three times in my life. I just finished it for the third time over this past weekend. And uh, the book of Aragon, um, I loved because of 
the story. I played video games growing up a little bit just because I love the story. I'm not big into the multiplayer stuff. I'd rather just enjoy the story. But it had been so long since I'd read this book that it was long enough I was like, I kind of remember what happened, but like not fully sure. Like, as I started reading, I was like, oh wait, you know, that's going to happen. I just don't remember when, or, or how did that take place, or oh wait, that didn't happen at all. That was a different story altogether. Um, but I read it with the anticipation of what was to come. I know how the story ended, but I still wanted to read it because I wanted to understand the story. I wanted to remember the story to relive some of those days. And so it's, it's not quite on the same level, but it's kind of like when kids ask for the same book to be read at nighttime over and over and over, or that same episode of Mickey Mouse Playhouse, or what was the one that um, little, little Baby Bump, Bone? Okay. I'll get into that at some point, probably. Um, but, you know, they keep asking that because they love the story. They know what's going to happen, right? But they love to be able to replay the story even when they know the ending. And I think in that vein, kids have a mindset closer to what God has about life than maybe we do as adults, right? He knows the ending of the story, and he wants to experience the story along with us. He wants us to spend time with the storyteller. And so with Aragon, there was a guy by the name of Brom, B-R-O-M, Brom, who was the storyteller. And in the book, Aragon talks about, in his little village that he comes from, how he always found the stories that Brom told to be so fascinating. He would just want to go spend time with Brom, just to spend time to ask questions, to interrupt, and just to figure out what does this guy have you know, did he live these things out? Is he just making this up as just a super cool imagination? And he would love to go and spend time with Bron just to ask questions and to learn. And to be in the presence of someone who oozes something worth having. Is there someone in your life who comes to mind when I say that? Is there somebody who oozes something that is worth having? And if you do, go do whatever it takes to spend time around or with that person. Maybe you're like, I'm not sure if they've got the time or, you know, you know I don't want to impede on them. It's something I struggle with. But we need to go and draw in what those people are oozing. And Jesus oozed. And people love them some Jesus juice. They can't wait to get a hold of that Jesus oozing. And so Jesus, as we know throughout scripture, when he looked at all the different parables he told, he was a storyteller. He also lived out his life, and now we get to read them as a story. And the people at that time, they would listen with anticipation, with a fascination to the stories that he was telling. And the disciples especially loved Jesus' stories, but it always seemed like, man, these guys are dense or something, because they hear the story and they say, okay, Jesus, what did it mean? Jesus says, let those who hear, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And then they would go off and go to their next place, and on the way, the disciples would be like, okay, Jesus, he told the story, and you said, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear, but like, come on. What did it mean? Can you tell us again? And he would, so he would go through, and he would have the patience with teenagers to tell them the story again and lay it out. So I was imagining what that might be like, and you know, they're, they're really excited. You know, great speech, Jesus. You really nailed that flourish there at the end as you really projected to, to wind up that story. But uh, what did it mean? 
Like, can you fill me in here? Like, that sounded really nice, but what did that mean? And that's where I'm always at personally. You know, I want to understand. I want to make sure I didn't miss anything of the story. So I'm guilty um, for some reason of when I'm reading a book, I'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm anticipating what's going to happen next. I'll move to the next page before I enter the page, read that. Oh, shoot, I didn't go back, so I have to go back to finish it. It doesn't make sense. But I'm so excited about what's going to happen. I don't, I don't want to miss anything, so I jump ahead. So I'm all over the place. And Jessica's like, what are you doing? Like, just read the book. Like, it's that easy. You're making it harder on yourself. But, but I think part of the reason I do that is because I don't want to sound silly when I go to try to tell somebody else that story. I don't want to make sure I, I, I want to make sure I don't miss anything because I don't want to sound like a fool. And I convince myself that I somehow have the power to make Jesus look bad. As if I now have control over Jesus. I have control over his stories. And somehow we make ourselves the center of the story and say, Jesus is a part of it. Let me tell you what I did or what I think or what my opinion is. Instead of saying, Jesus, what is your story? And let me tell it. I want to know it so well that people are anticipating what I'm going to say because of you. And don't get me wrong, we can definitely mess people up, we can lead people astray, we can get off track. Does anybody have a time when they were talking about Jesus with somebody and they totally bombed it? Yes, you want to tell it now? I'm just kidding. Um, we'll talk after. would love to hear it and use it in a future message. Um, but, but I'll share one of mine, and I, I don't really want to tell it. I really would rather just go stand back there um, when I hear the story. But, but in high school, there was a young woman that I was dating and um, I just wasn't leading the relationship well. I was really leading it quite poorly. And I'd gone and gone through a revelatory freshman year at Purdue, and we dated. She was, she was at a different school. And we kind of got together that next summer, and, and I had learned kind of how to tell the gospel, to share the gospel. And I attempted to do so, but I did it in the same time frame that we broke up, that I broke up with her. It might have even been the same night. I'm really not sure. So I'm here confessing in front of the world. And not only did I bomb it, I bombed it. So it's, I think it's kind of hard to get worse than that. So here we go. We can all go talk about Jesus now, right? But I think, I think that we're fallen, broken, separated, spiritually being, spiritual separated beings who are stubborn and we're utterly and completely lost in this world, in this life, without help from Jesus. And boy, did I need Jesus' help that night. But ultimately, I, I think that we do not have the power to keep someone from the work that Jesus is doing in their heart. We can help encourage it. We can help demonstrate it. We can help kind of flesh it out through conversation or through story that maybe we've experienced or whatever our testimonies might be, our stories might be. But ultimately, Jesus is the one that does the calling. Jesus is the one that causes people to come to him. And we don't have the power to keep somebody from Jesus. So with that established, what keeps us from talking about Jesus with people? And can we be honest with ourselves as we maybe consider that concept? And even though I'm a pastor, I don't always do a great job of making sure Jesus is part of the conversation. You know, it's nice to be able to go and sit at the branch and eat lunch and just talk about whatever. But I think one reason that we do not talk about our faith is because we only know the ending of the story. And because the questions people tend to ask in response to that are about all the stuff in the middle. 
Okay, Jesus died on his cross, cool. He rose again. But what about my circumstance? What about what I'm going through? What about what happened when I was a child? What makes sense when all I know is the ending? So as followers of Jesus, we need to learn and know and be able to describe the story. And not just regurgitate it, but to tell it interwoven with how Jesus has changed and shifted and made differences in our lives. To learn how to tell stories is an art form. And I'm trying to learn how to do it. But perhaps we don't talk about our faith or we don't talk about Jesus because we only know the ending of the story, but because we're not sure if it's okay to do so in the workplace. I don't even have time in the workplace to talk about sports, not to mention to talk about Jesus. Perhaps we don't talk about it with our friends because we aren't sure if they will invite us back the next time that we have a gathering. We're not sure if we can talk about what Jesus has done or is doing because we're not sure how people are going to handle it when we talk about it. Maybe we're not even sure if when we do bring it up, if they're open to the conversation, if after the opening spiel that we've recited in our head over a thousand times to make sure we say exactly words so we don't offend them, then then they ask a follow-up question or follow-up statement or like, uh, I just knew what I was going to say. Like, I don't know what to say after this. I'm not sure where to go from here. And I think it's we just simply don't know how to tell the story. And we kind of mentioned it earlier, but today's Palm Sunday. And so today would have been the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the people laid down palm branches. They laid down their clothing to celebrate this guy that was coming to town to save them. And so, you know, we could say that we know the story. We could even summarize it and say, Jesus, donkey, palm branches, people cheering, the end. Got it. Cool. Done. Easy. Here, I'll even throw in Easter. Judas betrays Jesus. Pilate washes his hands. There was a cross. There was an empty tomb. Done. Everybody fist bump. Good to go. Clear on the story. But there's so much that happens in the midst of that, right? We can summarize, and we can even know the stories from Scripture, but to be able to describe it in such a way that makes a difference, that actually inspires us, and also then inspires other people. Remember that Jesus juice I mentioned earlier? Remember that bit about we need to be in the presence of someone who oozes something worth having? Jesus oozed. And so it's interesting that we can summarize the most important stories in the history of humanity in just four phrases. And then we go about our day. Go to lunch, go home, go to work. But what if we glean even more from the beauty of what takes place in these stories, the actual people that lived? What would it have been like to be a person cheering while Jesus came into town? Would I have been moved to go cut down a palm branch, which was the only thing that provided shade in that area? Would I have been willing to take off my cloak and lay it down and get it all dirty because some donkey's going to pee on it while I walk by? Is the story of Jesus worth our time? Is it worth our time? Is it worth more than an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday morning? Because Jesus isn't calling us to church attendance, right? That's something we hear from time to time. But worshiping as a church family, it's necessary, right? It's, it's, it's something that we're encouraged to do, we ought to do, and we're doing it now. But Jesus' final words for us, to, for us were to share his story. But how can we do that if we don't know the story? 
But even if we do know it, do we know how to tell it? Is there a certain right way? No. But it's to share what he's doing in and through us. And is he doing anything in us and through us? Are we putting ourselves out there in big faith opportunities for him to meet those things bigger and better and stronger than we even dreamt up? Because he's got a better story than we could ever come up with. So if you would turn to Mark chapter 11 as we hit on the rest of what we're talking about today. Mark chapter 11. As you're turning there, the context of what takes place in scripture is important, right? Whether it's a single verse or it's a, it's a story or parable that Jesus told or it's even talking about the history of what takes place in the Old Testament or the New. And I, I know many times in my life where I've thought about the Bible, I think of the Old Testament, I think of old stories, you know, that might be kind of mystical, like there's a lot of death, there's a lot of names that I don't know how to pronounce. There's a lot of fighting, anger, violence, slavery. People were just going back and forth with God. And all of those things are true, but there's a narrative being written. There's a narrative woven into Scripture, into the story that God was playing out throughout the world and throughout even now in our lives today. So there's a narrative for us to pull out, for a narrative for us to understand and see the beauty of a God who just wants relationship. So starting in verse 11, Mark chapter 11, verse 11, it reads, as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. And as soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. Be interesting if we could try and pull that off here today. I don't know that it would work. I don't know. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. And as they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? And they said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. And we'll pause there for, for just a moment. So Jesus and his disciples are approaching Jerusalem. They're on their way. Jesus knows what's going on. They don't necessarily know what's, what's going to happen when they get there. But Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem, where things are going to go down. And they come into the towns just outside of there, kind of the suburbs, if you will. And they stop there, and he sends two followers ahead to go find a donkey that Jesus knows is there because of supernatural knowledge. And he tells them exactly what's going to happen. And they've been with Jesus long enough. They've been enough in his proximity. They've spent time in his presence to follow through on his instructions without question. And so this is where the story shifts for a moment in time. The significance of this time period changed the world entirely. Flipped it on its head. So the big day is here, just like in Frozen, where Elsa tells the guards to open the gates. I was going to sing it, but I don't know the tune. Jesus tells the disciples to bring him a donkey, and he's going to enter Jerusalem. And this section of scripture is called Jesus' Triumphant Entry. It may be there in your pew Bibles for a title. But I looked it up to look up, okay, I know what the word means, and I understand why it's Jesus' triumphant entry, but why is that the, the name that they use? Why does that word matter? There's a significance to every word used in Scripture. Why this one? 
And I looked it up and it says triumph was actually a word that came about and was used in the late 14th century and it means success in battle or conquest. Also, spiritual victory in a procession celebrating victory and war. So it was a word that was even added later as a description. It's not actually in the text, but it's a a label that was given just to help set the tone, set the scene for what is going to take place, for this procession celebrating the impending victory in spiritual war. So the people believed that Jesus was there to lead them out of Roman rule. They were under the Romans. They were under their superiority. They kind of got to do their own thing. Kind of. But they believed that Jesus was there as a leader to take them back to the promised land, that this was going to be the land that they owned, the land of their ancestors. He was going to deliver them and return them to the glory that used to be. Does that sound at all familiar? That we wish we could go back to the way things were. Life was better back then. But now things are so much worse. I don't see a way out. Jesus better come back soon because we sure need a rescuer. How in the world is Jesus going to redeem the mess that we live in now? But is it possible that in our day and age, right now, that God is playing chess when our mental thought of how he should do things is playing checkers? Maybe we don't see, maybe we don't understand, maybe our perception is skewed or off because of whatever factors that might be, but our perception tells us certain things. And is it possible that God is positioning himself for another triumphant entry, another revival, another change? He could be posturing himself through his people because that's how he likes to work. He likes to tell the story. And I think we need to ask the question, does God have something more in mind than what we can imagine? Does he have a better narrative than we can come up with? After all, he is the one who created imagination to begin with. So back into the scripture in in verse 8. It says, Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. And they did those as signs of honor and celebration. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor, David. Praise God in highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple and after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon and he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. And so Jesus comes in, Riding a donkey, I don't, did he, would he have sat, side saddle or not? I don't know if it matters, but he came in riding a donkey, right? Hee-haw! I worked on that this morning in the mirror. Um, and so, you know, but people are taking off their garments and they're laying them down as Jesus is coming and they're going and they're cutting down these branches and they're laying them down so that he doesn't have to tread on the dirt and the rock and the paths that people walked on as a sense of there's a separation there, just like there's a separation between us as sinners and Jesus. But why does that matter? Why did it matter that he pointed out that they laid down garments? They could have said he just came in and they, they celebrated. Why did that detail matter? And what matters is because Jesus is humble. He comes in on a donkey, not some awesome stud stallion. It also demonstrates Jesus and his love for people. He was one of the people. He was human. And then also, it fulfills Scripture. In both 
Isaiah 62 and Zechariah chapter 9. There's something about knowing God's story to help make the stories lived down in the New Testament come alive. A couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week, uh, Bill Lowe shared a, a resource of 355 passages of Scripture that Jesus fulfilled while he was described in the New Testament. 355, 10 short of a year. Come on, Jesus. Like, what are you doing? You didn't get 365, really? But to fulfill Scripture is significant because, as we said, 355 just for Jesus' life. If you look at a study Bible or, or even maybe in the Bibles you've got in front of you, all those little numbers, those little letters, those are all references to other passages of Scripture. Almost all of them are to Old Testament or cross-references in the New Testament. And it can be like, what is going on? Like, I can't even read what is in Scripture, not to mention all these little squiggly letters. But if we know that there's significance to the story, we can kind of put aside those things and look at, okay, what is it that Jesus wants me to pull from this story? There's something about knowing God's story that helps to make the stories lived out in the New Testament come alive. And so you think about it, if you come in in the third act of a movie, TV show, a play, a book, we're probably going to struggle to understand the references. We're going to struggle to understand the characters. We're going to under- struggle to understand the development of what has taken place, the significance of a moment, if we don't have the context and knowledge of those things. And there's something about God's story coming to life that inspires followers of Jesus. We begin to look forward to what comes next in the story. We're anticipating what's going to happen because we know him, because we know what he said in his word. And maybe it's even to the extent of, hey, I remember, I, hey, do you remember that part that's coming up? Here's what the part's going to come up. Listen to that piece of scripture. We got to listen for that part. That's my favorite part. We begin to pay attention to the life, the life that oozes forth from Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, we might start oozing Jesus ourselves. So the big question I want us to to walk away with today to consider is do we anticipate what is going to happen? And I mean that in two parts. One, do we anticipate what's going to happen in Scripture? So as we know God's word and we know the end of the story with Jesus and the, the entry into Jerusalem with Palm Sunday and then the cross and then he rose from the grave and there was an empty tomb and then he rose into heaven and he gave us the, the story to go and to, to tell his story. Right? We know that part. But if we know all of these other pieces too that feed into that, it just makes it come that much more alive. So do we anticipate what's going to happen because we're not necessarily looking to the end, but we know we have the end. So what's going on until we get to the end? And also, the other piece is, do we anticipate what's going to happen in our lives? We have a story that's going on. We have a narrative that we're living out that we get to figure out how to live through life. We don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on in your life necessarily. But as we live in a world who is desperately in need of Jesus' juice, as we live in a world desperately in need of that, as we realize we have a need for that, are we anticipatory? Are we anticipating what he's going to do? Or are we just like, this is life, we're going to figure it out, we're going to take it day by day? We can live that way, and it's okay. But if we live a life that Jesus is going to move, what is he going to do No, we just got to be on the lookout because he's always doing stuff. We even get to take part in it. 
through some outrageous generosity. Two quick things, and then we'll end. Um, did anybody know Phil Ziegler? Mr. Mike, yeah, quite a few of us do, Mr. Phil. I got to know Mr. Phil here when Jessica and I moved to the area. And I didn't get a ton of time with him, but the time I did, I treasured. And I treasure still. Because when he passed away, I was unfortunately out of town, and so I didn't get to take part in any of the visitation or the memorial service. But Phil was... I think he would like that I said this. One of the white hairs that would hang out at the branch on Monday mornings, and they would love to reminisce and tell stories. And you can imagine the stories some of those old white hairs told. I knew you'd be here. Almost every week he shared a story I had heard before, and he would almost always share a story that I hadn't heard before. And as he would begin to tell one of these stories, I would glance around the table and try to catch eye contact with somebody. And we would share a moment of, here he goes again. And so often I would listen with a genuine smile simply because I got to hear another Phil, Phil Ziegler story. And then I also wanted to, to note that there's an, a hymn called Tell Me the Old, Old Story. And in verse 2, I wanted to share that, Ian, if you'll pop that up there. The words were written as a poem by Catherine Hankey, an English evangelist in 1866. And while she was recovering from a serious illness, she wrote this poem that was later put into a hymn song. And I want to read this, take a moment to express, and then we'll pray. It says, tell me the story slowly, that I may take it in. That wonderful redemption, God's remedy for sin. Tell me the story often, for I forget so soon. The early dew of morning has passed away at noon. And how quickly maybe we forget stories in life. How quickly maybe we forget stories that we've learned about scripture or, or details about things. Do the details matter? Maybe, maybe not. But would we truly consider the stories we read in the Bible were real lives with real people, with real emotions, real relationships, and they are the best stories ever told because they're the stories that God wanted shared. They're the stories that are told by the God that we believe in, that we believe, that we profess, that we come to worship. He has stories that he has written down and expressed. Why would we not access them and then also see how those same stories are lived out in our lives and the lives of those around us. And then we get to share them. He is the only one we trust and believe in. Jesus, help us to know and to share your story. And as we're here today, God, maybe there was something that, that caught through this message. Maybe there was something that was caught through the drama. Maybe there was something that was caught through the song or, or word or, or even just something we heard whispered or, or sounds of children leaving the room or, or stomping around or giggling. Jesus, those are all parts of your story, the story you're narrating, the story you're living out, the story that you're writing and having us live, the God that you want to live through us. And that how much can we anticipate? Do we anticipate you? Do we anticipate that you are going to make something happen and we want to be a part of it. 
We want to be a part of it, Lord. Show us, lead us, guide us, break us open. May we be open to differences. May we be open to conversation. May we step out and speak and share your story with others because that's what you call us to do first and foremost after we respond to you, Lord. God, thank you that we can worship as a church family and that we can be together and that we can do these things with the church family coming back over time. Thank you that we can smile, we can be free, and that we can be mindful of all of the struggle, the frustration, the pain, the hurt that is happening around the world, Lord. May we not lose sight or lose mindfulness of those things. God, life is hard. Life is hard. But to do it with you is better. And it's beautiful. We love you, Jesus. Here let me pray. Amen. So we're so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.